But we talk about this now, don't we, in a sort of past tense here from lockdown. So that moves on to the next sort of discussion point, I think, is this transition from lockdown back into live studio work. And I know a lot of you have questions and concerns about this, and we'll go on to, to some of those in a moment. But I wanted to just touch on a few things that I think is relevant. Um, I want to look at uh, a little a sort of article here where we had the uh, Deputy Chief Medical Officer, um, Dr. Jenny Harries, and I hope I pronounced her name correctly, um, coming out and calling on uh, Britons to get fit and lose weight this summer in preparation for the predicted return of COVID-19 in the winter months. Um, she says that things such as obesity is a risk that the UK can do something about. Um, the research from the University of Liverpool showing that being obese increases the risk of dying from the sars cov disease by 38%. Data from the NHS indicates that 75% of people who have been hospitalised with COVID-19 were overweight or obese, compared to 66% of the population. Now, here's, it's time for a little rant, okay? And I know you've all had this rant, rant with me or had it in, in your own households as well. But it comes to the pubs before gyms debate. Like, and, uh, and again, I, I just have to address it, right? I have to address it so we can put it out there <laughs> and put it to bed and just say that, you know, I in no way understand how governments make their decisions. And I'm sure that there was an enormous discussion around this. I'm sure they went back and forth with all of this and I, I don't have any insight into how this all works. But it just seems ridiculous, doesn't it, that you know, there is this entire industry out there and I guess this is where maybe we have to find a better voice. Maybe there's something in this that us as an industry, specifically the you know, Pilates-based industry, we need a stronger voice somehow because we were obviously clearly just in the same category as large gyms. But, you know, our small studios with smaller people in each class with the ability to zone off areas and provide a very, very safe environment, um, we weren't given that chance. The, the, that chance was given to pubs and restaurants where people can go in and they can, you know, drink apparently and be socially distanced and be trusted as they drink and have more alcohol in their systems and I'm not sure that really leads to the fitness belief that the uh, Deputy Health Minister here um, uh, is is saying to us. So on one hand, the country's been asked to get fit and stave off a second wave, but on the other hand, the gyms aren't allowed to open, us as studio owners aren't allowed to open, but pubs and restaurants are. So, look, uh, let me just leave it there, okay, because you've all had the debate as well. I just don't understand it. Let me just say that. I just don't understand it. Um, I, I'm delighted that, you know, this data is there that talks about how important it is get to get back to exercise. And now I know that some of you listening might be, yeah, but okay, Pilates doesn't tackle obesity. Well, I'm not sure that's true because in order to tackle obesity, you have to get people exercising safely. Now, a lot of people that are overweight, they might go back to exercise in a gym, for example, and then they try to you know, get on the treadmill or the bike or the rower or something, and then they may, well, injure themselves because they're not strong enough or stable enough to tackle that form of cardio exercise. And that's where Pilates is great. And certainly... 
from a rehab point of view, a more modified approach to the Pilates movements where we can get anyone, irrespective of their pre-fitness level, exercising safely and effectively through our various levels of each of the Pilates exercises and then gradually give them that strength and the stability and the robustness in their body to get exercising properly and to do that more successfully. I know in our program we talk a lot about a positive response to exercise and a positive response to movement and I think that's really important and if you're looking at a population that hasn't exercised and needs to get exercising again then giving them the ability to get into safe and effective exercise facilities such as the majority of our Pilates and physio centers, surely that makes a lot more sense than allowing them to go and have a pint at a pub. But let me leave it there because I think it's uh, important that we get onto um, a few other issues. And so as we come back and we're looking to reopen and the great news here in the UK that um, we were, a were able to reopen and that's coming up uh, the weekend uh, Saturday 25th of July um, here at APPI we've decided to open up um, uh, the centres on Monday the 27th uh, of July but let's have a look at these guidelines that were given so um, a big shout out to UK Active here by the way who um, were just brilliant in their campaigning to the government they really pushed the industry and i touched on before that the pilates industry needs a, a larger voice for well, the fitness industry and particularly the team uh in, behind uk active I, i'd have to give them a big shout out to the the energy and the professionalism and the proactive nature of campaigning government to helping to get gyms open they took people into gyms and showed them how gyms can work safely and effectively and i think their campaign and their pressure and the information they did is probably why we are here today helping to get us actually working out um, so uh, when you look at um, the guidance as well first of all you have the the usual guidance okay so we all have to do our uh, COVID-19 risk assessment and so the first step in getting your studio open again is your risk assessment where you have to go around your facility and perform and document a full and detailed risk assessment of how you can make your environment COVID secure. And you make your environment COVID secure by looking at a number of different things. Um, one of those is the, the entrance. So for us in, in our centers, we have um, hand sanitizer on entrance. Then people come up into the studio and they wash their hands first, okay? So the hand sanitizer as they come in the door they come up and wash their hands first and then they come into reception and they're directed to where they are due to go. So then you have your all the other elements of creating a COVID secure environment. You have your staggered treatment times, the staggered class times, which is uh, important as well. Um, you have the ability to, uh, you have the ability So the guidance, again, uh, just uh, looking to, to make sure I had the right document uh, here in front of me. So um, look, we have to create this COVID secure environment, as I said. So cleaning, um, you know, we at our centers, as I said, hand sanitizer on entry, then into hand wash. Um, and then right now we've been coming into physio treatment rooms. And so that has a separate policy. But um, 
when you do your, your risk assessment, you need to look over all these things. You need to look at your staggered class times or session times to make sure that there's no overcrowding in hallways. We need to make sure that there's at least 10 minute window between classes um, to ensure again that there's no crowding around in hallways. So yeah, we're not gonna run the same timetable. You're gonna have to make adaptations there for sure. Um, social distancing guidelines need to be followed so those guidelines do change and so therefore things change as well but right now the advice for, for in-studio classes is that we need our risk assessment and we need to have a COVID secure environment as I said with increased cleaning you know other things like common touch or uh, touch areas need to be cleaned regularly we do that every half hour in our centers um, the 10 minute window, uh, equipment cleaned in between use. Uh, the guidance says that this can be done by a client or staff member with equipment provided. Um, I think one of the decisions that you're gonna need to make is whether you actually provide equipment or not. Um, for example, I think we'll be asking everyone to bring their own mat to their mat classes. Um, I think the use of reformers will be a bit easier. Um, and then you have the, the choice of whether you go with the fogging machine or not in between your, your classes to create that overall hygiene uh, sort of covering that may well be worth it in the long run. Um, but what's interesting, and I think where the debate here is, is that there is very little guidance given to us through these UK Active Guidelines about uh, face coverings in studio classes. Um, so I think uh, I've looked a lot and read a lot of different policies that are out there and around, and I think one of the common themes seems to be um, ensuring that people wear face coverings in and around the centre, but perhaps not when they're on their mat or on their machine. Um, and I think I'll have to leave that up to all of you to decide what you will be doing and what policies you wanna put in place there. I think without uh, doubt, the teacher should have a face covering on. And then you have the choice to make, uh, make whether that's a mask or a visor. Um, I know we've been wearing masks in our center for the last uh, several weeks from the physiotherapy side. Um, and then it's, it's, it's not the same because when you're teaching movement which is part of a physio role certainly when you're treating people you get a lot through your facial expressions and through their facial expressions as well and so it is you know these, these you have to learn how to engage and create that rapport through a mask so i am thinking that maybe visors might be a better option especially for group teaching um, because at least you can still uh, have that sort of face reaction and interaction with your clients um so I guess it sort of comes down to looking the letter of the law, the guidance is, is maybe not there, but how do you balance that off your social responsibility to create a COVID secure environment for people as well? Um, all right, so uh, you've got your UK active guidance, you need to do your risk assessment, your COVID secure risk assessment, um, staggered times, no gathering in hallways, uh, change rooms out of use. Um, I think that goes without saying as well. Um, and then you need to look at all of the additional cleaning that you need. And so then as studio owners, we now have to look at this and, and see how do we actually make this work? Because we've got to spend a lot of money on PPE. We've got to spend a lot of money on cleaning. We've got to have staggered class times and session times so we can't run at the same capacity. So I don't foresee this being the easiest time for us for you know, some time to come yet, I have to be honest. Um, and I just, you know, I just hope and pray that all of you out there that are listening to this get through this time and that we come out of this stronger and more together as an industry for sure. That's one thing that, that 
I certainly hope comes out of this. Um, and how it sort of looks, we don't know. Um, my thoughts, if I'm honest, if I again keep to my theme of making sure that I just tell you exactly what I think, um, I think that uh, classes involving specialist equipment will come back um, and they should come back strong. Um, but it's the, the Mac classes that I worry about. What does that look like moving forward for in-studio Mac classes? I'm, I'm really not sure. Um, so again, I would love to hear from you guys and, and hear your views and thoughts about what you think uh, Mac classes will look like moving forwards. And within this sort of concept of everything coming back, um, there was a um, interesting story out there, not story, but an interesting bit of research out there that you may have come across that I'd like to just share with you before we get in there to our questions and answers to finish. Um, and this was a uh, large-scale academic study that came out of the University of Oslo, led by Professor Michael Bretthauer. Um, and if you're uh, subscribed to the HCM magazine, you can get some of this information there, or just Google the study. And it was a, a study that uh, they were looking at whether um, SARS or COVID yeah, virus infections can be passed or is likely to be passed within gyms. Um, now, the outcome here from the author says that our trial showed no virus transmission or increase in COVID-19 disease that was related to the opening of gym facilities. The research studied 3,764 members of the public aged between 18 and 64 who had no COVID-19 relevant comorbidities. Roughly half were given access to visit gyms, while the other half, a control group, were not. Uh, the former were given access to five clubs. Um, these were a number of clubs uh, sort of in and around the um, Oslo area where the study was, was conducted. And those visiting a gym had to adhere to virus prevention guidelines from the Norwegian Institute of Public Health. So the trial sought to test if the closure of gyms is needed or if open facilities can provide enough hygiene and social distancing to prevent virus spread. The results show that there was no increase in COVID-related disease due to the opening of gyms. So look, this study has been spoken about a lot. It's been pulled apart, analysed, moved, and some people have dismissed it. But at least we have here somebody looking to support the gym and fitness industry and actually getting a bit of research done that may help with the, the, the confidence and the consumer confidence moving forward. So I've got to give a lot of uh, credit to to Michael Brett Hauer. Um, I don't know you, but uh, <laughs> you've done a great bit of, of research here. And look, it may be that there's they haven't been able to address the variables. There may be some flaws in the study for sure, and I guess anyone can try and pick holes in things. But I thought it important to share this, just if it's a case of maybe you want to share this with your um, with your clients, with your community, and, and say that look, we can create. A secure environment for our clients we can create a COVID secure environment as much as that is possible um, we can't protect um, everyone from en everything right but at least we can do all of the steps to try and create that environment and especially in a smaller studio environment like most of us work out of um, I think we can can be confident that we can do that and confident in trying to get our our clients back and making them feel safe in our hands so um, that's probably e enough for me in this uh, very first episode. Um, I apologize, it's all my voice 
right now. Um, we will be having other voices as the, the episodes continue on. So let me finish off now by just going to some of the question and answers, or the questions, I'll give you the answers, some of the questions that we have come into the Institute in preparation for this first episode. So um, first question here is a question from Kate. Uh, now with classes being run online, do we need to amend the um, sign-in form or your disclaimer form for the use of classes? So um, Kate, really good question. Um, our advice to you is that, yes, you do need to adjust them to ensure that it is written in there that the person is consenting to the exercise class from an online forum. Now, again, this is where your separate ways of how you're running this will also come into play. Because if you are running your online classes and you have no class limit or no limits on the sizes, um, that you're not speaking with the people in your class, that it's a completely one-way teaching and that you don't have any input or um, feedback from them, then it might be a different situation. And, and you, you are, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to speak to your relevant insurer about that and does that keep you covered or not? Because I've got a lot of questions here in front of me from the insurance point of view. Um, questions here. Uh, so, so uh, Kate, yes, I think you do need to amend the form just to outline that the classes are being delivered online and that the uh, customer is consenting to that class. Yeah, we need to make sure that the onus there is on the client themselves. Now here at the Institute, we recommend that you begin every class with a little verbal um, sort of reference to say that the client is in charge, of, uh, in charge of their own, the exercises that they choose to do in this class. They know the body much better than we do. If there's any exercise, that they feel is not appropriate for them, then they don't have to choose to continue with that exercise. And we'll give them an alternative one instead. So do just make sure that you get your consent forms in, in line there. Uh, Kate also asked about our fizzy insurance covers us for, for classes online. Um, so when you look at our insurance, my understanding, and again, you'll have to check this with the CSP, that's the, the fizzy insurance here in the UK, but we know that exercise is one of the three core skills of physiotherapy and that physiotherapy as an industry was able to transition online. The health insurance suppliers, Bupa, were brilliant in this. Hats off to Bupa for once there. Um, but they were great in that they acknowledged that the online services are recognized under the private health insurance. Um, and so I, I think we can extrapolate from that that our insurance does cover us. But speak to whoever your, your insurer is to make sure that is the case. And I think this comes on to a, a number of other questions that we've got here about um, pre-assessment. And, and many of you will be doing a pre-assessment prior to having people come into your, into your classes and should that continue from the online service. And indeed it should, um, but again, uh, guidance was updated a few years ago to say that a pre-screening pre questionnaire was enough to attribute to that. Um, and so if you do your pre-screening questionnaire now, some of that can be done automatically as well. Some of it you might have to do a little bit more manually through sending the questionnaire to people and having them answer it and send it back. Sometimes you can build this into your software and so it's automated when people come into the class for the very first time. But I definitely recommend that you have some form of pre-screening questionnaire in place uh, to ensure that you're just looking for those red flags and people that shouldn't be in your class. Um, and I guess that comes on to Kelly's question here. Kelly's asked, if I am doing YouTube fitness Pilates videos which are not tailored specifically for individuals during lockdown, 
Do I need to do a disclaimer or provide any extra information other than saying, please make sure you have no injuries or you, and are not pregnant? Um, Kelly, yes, I, I believe that you should, again, have that screening questionnaire in place. And most importantly, just the consent from the client, understanding the risks of exercise you can get um, from the uh, Sports Medicine Association of America. Um, you'll be able to get those guidelines very easily, and we use that as guidance within our consent forms as well. Um, Gemma's got a question here. I have completed the MatWork Level 2 class instructor course, um, which is a max 12 participants per class. I assume this is the same for a live virtual class, and all other requirements such as health questionnaire will be in place also. Um, look, Gemma, that is how we are working. Yes, for sure. Um, uh, of course, let me just put a caveat in here. Um, what I don't get from the question here is whether you've actually completed your level three and your examination. You need to have done that in order to have any sort of backing from us or to, to have the appropriate skills required to do that. So let me just touch on the fact that while you've completed MatWork level two, um, unless you've completed MatWork level three and done your certification, then in our eyes, you're still not um, qualified to teach those classes as pure as Pilates, as a Pilates instructor. Um, if you're teaching it as a physio-led Pilates-based class, then you know that's another story and there's the sort of semantics around that. But um, the, the basis of your question there, Gemma, is for us, yes, we are limiting it to, well, we have uh, smaller groups of around eight to 10, um, but that is in our code of conduct with 12 participants. Um, per class. Um, I have another question here um, in relation to uh, APU had any guidance on PPE and running Pilates classes when we're given the go-ahead to start again. Um, I think I've answered that question earlier in the podcast here when we looked at the UK Active guidance on there um, in relation to uh, hygiene and hand washing. I guess maybe we haven't touched on hand washing enough um, but that's just to say that hand washing has been shown to be much more effective than gloves. Um, so, look, again, I'll leave it up to you guys as to how exactly how you run your PPE. Um, but I think the the um, evidence on glove is uh, questionable, but hand washing is not. Hand washing is brilliant. Um, as long as you maintain those hand washing procedures, um, you in your class teaching, uh, I would move away from the tactile feedback approach, um, keeping in mind the social distancing that we have to try and keep within our teaching environments, and a face covering, um, I believe, is, is a minimal requirement there. Um, but again, you know, I'm not the authority on this. I'm sorry to say, guys, um, you need to find that out specifically for yourselves. Um, another question there on PPE from Nicola. Uh, so I think we've, we've answered that one for you, Nicola, there. Um, and uh, this one here, who's this from? This is from Janet. Okay, Janet's asked. She's an MSK physiotherapist employed within a private hospital. Um, classes have been stopped during the pandemic. She's thinking about maybe running some uh, other classes in a village hall. Um, I'm assuming I would need public liability insurance to practice in the village hall. Um Yes, it is. You're going to need that. But it, it may be that the village hall itself has some public liability insurance and that may cover you for what you're wanting to do. So I would speak with um, the people that own the hall, check into their public liability insurance and does that cover you coming and using the facility. Um, you'll definitely need your additional insurance 
um, to be running in this way because in this way, if you're running like that, you have the thing with insurance is you have to assume are you acting as a physiotherapist or are you acting as a Pilates teacher? And if you're acting as a Pilates teacher, then you need additional insurance above and beyond your physiotherapy insurance. So it's an important clarification that you will need to make sure that you've answered there. Um, uh, questions from Claire here. Um, I wanted a bit of guidance on where we stand for Pilates one-to-one -one sessions. Um, so my understanding here is that Pilates one-to-one -one sessions will be able to come back in line with the opening of gyms, um, that you can maintain your appropriate social distance where possible, um, and that as long as you're wearing the appropriate PPE on those one-to-one -one sessions, you need your COVID secure uh, risk assessment. You need to create your environment to be COVID secure, increase cleaning um, practices in place, certainly with uh, reformer work, if that's the case, then you'll be um, cleaning the equipment down before and after use. Um, if you're looking at one-to-ones more from a mat-based uh, point of view my advice would be that you limit your equipment that you give to clients offer your services but ask them to bring the equipment such as their own mat and then any other pieces of soft equipment i would advocate at the moment that you get your clients bringing that in equipment and if they don't have it then unless you can provide a single use and then sanitize that equipment and put it aside for a set period of time before anyone else uses it which may not be the most financial viable way to work that you ask your clients uh, to maybe purchase the equipment or bring what they have and use what they have in your sessions. Um, that's certainly the way that we're operating as it stands at APPI, where we're using our uh, people bring the equipment in with them or purchase it for their own use. Um, and so as many of you know, we, we do have a product company as well, and we've created affiliate links for all of you to be able to sell our products to your clients, and then you get a little bit of revenue from that, um, anyway, we can try and help everyone earn a little bit more, I think is good right now. So um, the affiliate program is there and you can certainly reach out to the Institute if you want to, to look at that because that might be a way of helping your clients to get their equipment in order to get in for you to do your one-to-one -one sessions as well. Um, all right, what else we got here? Um, another Claire, a gyms are reopening. Um, guidance I've read seems a little confusing you're right there Claire that's for sure uh, some physios suggest that with social distancing in place in the hall you can have as many as you, as your hall can take um, distance between mats okay so this your question here Claire really is predominantly answered in the UK of active guidelines there you have to maintain appropriate social distance um, you have to ensure that it's a COVID secure environment um, and then you are following all of the government guidance. So, um, yes, I believe you can start classes. Um, I don't um, agree with you can have as many in there as you like because that um, I, I don't think is best practice. Um, it may be under the letter of the law that you can do that, but I don't think it's best practice. Um, there's other limits around sort of uh, social gathering. I think that that's not accurate because you're acting effectively under the leisure industry guidelines here. Um, so I would go for the UK Active Guidelines on the resumption of the leisure industry and gyms, and that's where you would find your answers to what you need on that basis, uh, Claire. Um, and then let's go to our last one here. Uh, uh, okay, um, what have we got here? Uh, Abigail, well, Abigail, you've uh, <laughs> you've asked a lot of questions here. Um, all right, let me maybe just 
touch on a, a few of these. Where am I getting to? There's a lot of information here. Uh, I think this is around best practice predominantly. Um, and uh, continued running classes for regular clients online. Um, you will be uh, covered by your CSP insurance and, and I believe they should be covered by any additional insurance because you're still following the same guidance and it's been shown that exercise can be safe and effective in an online format. Um, you're working within scope and best practice um, and, I, and I think you are in that. Keep in mind that you know private insurance companies have given us the go-ahead that um, our services are still safe and effective uh, and there won't be any changes in their eyes. And the same um, guidance, I believe, is there from our governing bodies, certainly in the physio world, for sure. Um, Claire's talking about here that you know, you've got the PARQ Plus form working, so that's great. A detailed health questionnaire and consent form, perfect. Um, so look, all, everything's in place there, I believe, Abigail. You're doing every, all the right things there. Um, you're advising clients to uh, clear area, recommend the exercise level suitable to them. Um, okay, uh, you've got quite a few people in potentially in the class there. That's one thing that um, you would want to maybe think about whether you can handle that many people in a class. If you've got such a popular demand, then good for you. I'm pleased for you, but you want to maybe just think about is that in line with best practice? Um, she checks everyone at the end of the class before they exit Zoom. So look, I think you're, you're doing the right things. Um, you have a register of who is in your class. You're taking notes for the class. So you know, everything is very good there. Um, good. I'm just trying to actually get to the base of your question. I think your the main in, uh, question that you have here is around what is best practice and are you following best practice um, because that may be what your insurance is asking for. Um, and so I think... You, you are following all of those things. We can go by, only go by our guidance. Um, you know, have some form of pre-assessment um, and ideally a post-assessment. People need to sign their consent form and you need to make sure that people are uh, given that verbal warning at the start of a class that they can exercise within their limits and their boundaries. So uh, hopefully that answers <laughs> some of your questions. Uh, looks like there's a lot of uncertainty there around insurance. Um, I, unfortunately, I, I can't tell you 100% what that is. I can tell you that you'll need to speak to your insurer and I think if you're working within your scope of practice and within the um, what you can prove is within your competencies, then whether you're delivering that live or online, I don't think changes, but you will need to check that with your insurance company themselves. I'm all right. So look, uh, this is our, our very first podcast uh maybe gone a little bit longer than i had initially planned but you've got some interesting questions there safe to say from from myself from elisa from all the team here at appi we hope that you've enjoyed this uh first snippet of what the pilates 101 podcast will be all about um, i look forward to getting your views your reviews your comments and your questions to shape up for our next episode. So if I can ask from you, send me in your questions, send me in who you would like us to interview, and send me in any feedback or ideas of how we can make this more enjoyable for you or more interesting or insightful or anything that we can do to make this a little bit um, uh, more successful. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye for now.